0: Hello, and thank you for joining us on the Praise Christian Center podcast. I am Pastor Kofi Banfo and I'm here with my wife, Jane. We hope you enjoy today's message and are blessed by it. Please remember to connect with us on social media and through our website. Enjoy. 2 Timothy one9 nine. I am reading it out of the amplified version of the Bible. Hallelujah. Are you ready? For it is he who delivered and saved us and called us with a calling which is in itself holy and leading to holiness a life of consecration, a vocation of holiness. He did it not because of anything that we have done, but because of and to further His own purpose and grace, unmerited favor, which was given in Christ Jesus before the world began ages ago. We establish from the Word of God that God has saved us. He's not saved us just from hell or saved us from doom, but He has saved us too. He saved you and I too a purpose. And that that purpose, your individual purpose, your reason for being on this earth was set actually in Christ Jesus even before the world was created. We just read it. So you are saved, you are called, you are purposed with a holy purpose. But that purpose also does what? Lines up with the overall purpose of God. So your purpose and my purpose has what we call eternal consequences. And so we don't just live. Whenever we are here or whenever we feel discouraged, you know, sometimes when I speak to clients, I'm working with who are depressed, and they say, I don't want to be here, I tell them, but you're here. You're here. You're here because God wants you here. You're here. He has something for you here. And purpose is that, is that which wakes you up in the morning. Hallelujah. It wakes up. It enlarges your life. You know, it, it, is, it is the fact that you are created In the image of God. So when you live your purpose, when you live out the reason why God created you, guess what you do? You manifest the image of the one who created you, your God. So you do what? Then you bring glory to God. So purpose glorifies God. Hallelujah. Amen. That's why we have to live out our purpose. And then we establish also from the Word of God that. Every person is unique. There is nobody like you. I don't want to read all the Bible texts, but just by way of review, Ephesians 2.10 says that you are God's limited edition, one-off. There's nobody like you. There is nobody like you. There can be people like you. People can copy you, your essence. That means that you represent God differently from me. So when we get saved, God takes our individual personas, which is our personality, and all of that, and as the word of God goes into us and renews our mind, by your essence, your character, your personality, the way you represent God is solely you. So you are unique, and you need to know that you're unique, you're a one-off addition, and that you have a reason for being here, because identity we establish again from the word of God that is consequential to purpose. Because when you know who you are and whose you are, you live differently. You walk, like they say, with your head up high. So purpose is, 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 is something that we need to walk in. Purpose also brings about vision. Because when you know the reason for being, it opens your eyes or it reveals underneath your purpose, vision. We get the word vision, the same word optica or optician. It means seeing or coming into being. So when you understand that you have a purpose, you, you then see a vision for your life. And then you do or you begin to run with that vision the other definition of the word seeing or "vision" means coming into being, and I established in my teaching number two where I talked about process that we go on a journey, and we are still on that journey into fulfilling our God-given purpose. We are what coming into being. So you need your need to know your identity, and then and then that you are unique, and then we are also established from the Word of God that. God didn't just create you unique, called you for a reason, but we saw in Moses' life, he endowed each and every one of us with giftings and abilities as well to fulfill your purpose. You know, if you were not here three weeks ago, it would be worth your while to get the teaching. Because we spoke about how when Moses was asked by God, or he had what we call the burning bush encounter, And then eventually God asked him to go and deliver the Israelites. Then he said that, I can't go. He began to speak about all his limitations. We do the same. I'm black. I'm tall. I'm white. I'm short. And God is like, oh, oh dear me, I created you. I didn't know you were black. Oh, dear me, I created you. I didn't know you're, you're, you're Asian. I didn't know you're tall. You're short. We list everything to God that he already knows. Then God said to Moses, what is in your hand? We diminish what is in our hand. Because what is in your hand normally is what you do Monday to Friday. It's what you do so when you think you have this huge thing in your heart called purpose. That one day I'm going to do this for my God. One day I'm going to be this person. And God said that marry. Bring together what is in your hand with what is in your heart. They can be so different. And yet they come together to fulfill purpose. Amen. Amen. So that's a long review. Then last week... On process, I gave you five coaching questions. If you want a worksheet for that lesson, you pay a pound in the pound offering to Rwanda and I give you the worksheet. Simples. I will email it to you, put your name there. I'm I'm trying to raise money for my people in the home in Rwanda. So you just put a pound there. It's very cheap for my hard coaching work. do not you think so? Yeah, so you have, I have a worksheet. I ask you five coaching questions. So I want to start today, not going back to the five coaching questions, but also two things that I left out. If you were not here, you need to get those five coaching questions that I ask you to ask yourself. There were five questions I said to ask yourself, to bring clarity to your life, to where you are now. But the two elements I want to draw out today. And the first one that I, I didn't get to last week, I don't even know how I'm going to get through today, I have so much in my heart that I want to pour out to you. But the Holy Spirit will help me. One thing, the first thing that is that you need people in the fulfillment of your purpose. Purpose is not fulfilled in isolation. Come to Romans chapter 12, if you please, verse 4. You need people in order to fulfill your God-given purpose. Romans chapter 12, verse 4. I read... For us in one body, one physical body, we have many parts, organs, members, and all of these parts do not have the same function or use. So we, numerous as we are, are one body in Christ the Messiah. And individually, we are also what? Parts of, of one another. We are mutually dependent on one another. You need people. When we were in Rwanda this summer, we took a team of 36, but because I was in front, I'd be going to Rwanda longer than most of them. Everywhere I went, people who even left Rwanda would send me emails, you do so much for our country. You know, even the immigration officer said to me, you've been here in April, you do so much. Then I told them, a lot of people helped us to get here, helped me to get here. I didn't get here to Rwanda by myself. There were people who prayed for me, people who brought finances, people who encouraged, people who brought food. Nobody gets anywhere by themselves. So even though God has created us unique, where there's nobody like you, also, he says we are unique individuals, and then also, like the parts of the body, we what? We are also mutually dependent on one another. Come to 1 Corinthians 12, again, still laying on that point about you need people to fulfill your God-given purpose. 1 Corinthians 12, 24. I'm going to read it this time out of the NLT. 1 Corinthians 12, 24, amen. While the more honorable parts do not require this special care, so God has put the body together, such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. And, and the Bible and the Word of God always uses their knowledge, or compares the body of Christ to the human body. I am speaking right now. I am using my vocal cords. I'm using my hands. I'm using my core. I'm using every other parts of my body that you don't see as well. To speak, how can I say I don't need my hands because I was chopping and cooking yesterday and then I something the knife I didn't look and it cut my hand. And I say I don't need my fingers anymore. So, whenever we we throw off or we cast away members of our own body of Christ, that's think about your body how you care when your my little hand just hurts, or if those of you women who have nails when one nail breaks, oh my goodness, it's a run trip. To the nail shop. Oh, oh. I mean, I have have a a special number now to my nail shop. One-on-one now, the relationship I have with my nail person. Hannah, I'm on my way. You know, a nail is broken. One little nail. I care for that fake little thing that I have attached. It's such a part. How will I let it look bad? No, no, no. To think about that. The apostle Paul said, when you fall, I fall. If we really get this, as I was reading this over this last week, I thought what a force the body and the church universe are locally in this body will be if we get it. So we need each other. So on, on your life journey in fulfilling your purpose, in a particular season of your life, there will be people that will travel with you all the way. But in particular seasons of your life also, God will bring people. You need to pray about that. So you need what I call accountability partners. Some people call it, you need a life board of directors. Some call it, you need a dream team. Or we call it also a few safe people. A few safe people who hold you to sanity when you can't hold it. I remember when I was doing my masters, I'm nearly done. Then I get a poor mark for my essay. I have a journalism degree, suddenly I find out I can't write essays. When I go to do my masters, I discover that writing a journalistic article and and an essay are two different things. And it's been a long time before this 50-something-year-old woman went to school. So It's very different. And I find myself unglued. And I said, I'm leaving the master's. After all, do I need it? I have a few other degrees anyway to my name. Nobody even ever ask you anyway. And then my dream team would not let me go. They held me to sanity. You need people, safe people, not a lot of people. You need people in order to fulfill purpose. Now, the second point, if I get to today's topic, because my time is going, is time. So you need people, then time. So my question is, what is your relationship with time? We do have a relationship with time. We have a relationship with ourselves. We have a relationship with God. We have a relationship with our spouses, our friends. If we're married, we have a relationship with our spouses. But you also have a relationship with time. Come with me to Ephesians 5.15. Ephesians 5.15. Reading from the Amplified. Ephesians 5.15. Look carefully then how you walk. It's really how you live as well. It could be translated thus. Look carefully then how you walk. Live purposefully. That's how you and I ought to live. Live purposefully and worthily and accurately, not as the unwise and witless, but as wise, sensible, intelligent people. So the word of God is challenging us. You and I cannot live as people who are not wise. People who have no wits about us. We are to live with purpose. Because there's a reason for us being here. And then verse 16 says, Making the very most of the time. Buying up each opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be vague and thoughtless and foolish. But understanding and firmly grasping what the will of the Lord is. And we know his will. which I just read that in 2 Timothy 1.9. His will is that he saved you, called you, and graced you to fulfill a purpose, a reason that is lined up with his own eternal purposes. So we do know that. But the Bible says that don't, don't, don't throw away time. Buy up moments. One translation says, buy up moments that others throw away. Seize every opportunity. Some of the th- things I write to people in my book is that, write, seize the day. Every day, see it as a moment. Because then that moment is gone, it will never come again. You know, three demons were graduating from Demon University. Don't let's not, let, yes, just keep it straight. So they were graduating. So Satan asked them, called the first one. He says, what have you learned in my university, in your training, and how will you impact Christians? He says, I will tell them there is no God. He says, you will do well. Then he asked the second one, what have you learned in all this time in university that will impact Christians? He says, I will tell them there is no devil. Then he asks the third one, what will you tell Christians in order to, this, uh, to help the, our kingdom. He says, I will tell them they have a lot of time. Because that is how we do. When we, we behave as if we have a lot of time, we don't have a lot of time. That is why the psalmist says, teach us. Teach us. We need to pray that prayer. Teach us to number our days Psalm 90.12, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Wisdom enables you to navigate this life purposefully. And we just read it from scripture buying up opportunities, moments that others throw away. Time management really is life management. I have a teaching on time management strategies. And I have a whole workshop that I do as well on time management. But I'll give you a few things. You need to recognize what I call the time thieves in your life. Because there are time thieves. One of them is distractions. Distractions are those things that come in your day and your life and they pull you away from purpose. They just draw your attention and some of them can be good things. But when we, we have read from the scriptures, we have seen the Bible admonishes and encourages us to live purposefully, knowing what the will of the Lord is. So you know what, what the distractions are. Then we have interruptions. There is also a time thief. Interruptions are those things that you stop what you are doing and then focus on them. What it does is that it, it distracts from your creativity when you have interruptions. You lose your flow. A telephone call in the middle of planning or creating. Going straight to look at, at, at messages as soon as you wake up in the morning. You don't talk to the one who woke, woke you up. You go on your social media immediately. But the other one that I want to focus on for a bit in this teaching it's disorganization. And for those in my family, I do not have OCD. I want this to go on the record. Because <laughs> I'm going to show you from the Bible about disorganization and clutter. In and out. <laughs> Come to with John chapter 6, verse 8. I'm going to prove it from Scripture. I've been taught by the best. He's sitting right here in the front row. John chapter 6, verse 8. You know, you know, in Genesis chapter 1, a few weeks ago, I spoke about the fact that all of our dreams, our purpose, everything that God gives us, He gives it to us what? In a seed. Then, the, then God spoke, Genesis 1 28. Then when God spoke to Adam and Eve, which we call the first words to his creation, he says, increase multiplication I like to reduce it to that and 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 subdue the earth use all its vast resources in the service of man and God but he spoke multiplication increase well I want to show you a principle here from the word of God on multiplication and increase so in John 6 8 to 13 is the account of the feeding of the 5,000 And another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a little boy here who has with him five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many people? And Jesus said, Make all the people recline, sit down. Now the ground, a pasture was covered with thick grass at the spot. So the men threw themselves down about 5,000 in number. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to the reclining people. So also he did this with the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had all had enough, he said to his disciples, Gather up now all the fragments, the broken pieces that are left over, so nothing may be lost and wasted. So accordingly they gathered them up, And they filled 12 small hand baskets with fragments left over by those who had eaten from the five barley loaves. The first thing that Jesus did before he performed this miracle was that he asked his disciples to get all the people to sit down, order. Because there would be chaos if 5,000 people were trying to reach for 5,000 for five loaves of bread. I was telling Kofi reminding him about a year or a couple of years ago, is it a year ago, we went to Edinburgh, but a friend of ours, we have good friends, he said, I want you to eat at this restaurant in Edinburgh, so he sent us plane tickets to go to Edinburgh after church, to go and have, yeah, right, yeah, you need friends like that, to go and have dinner, and the witchery, I know, but we're holy people going to the witchery, <laughs> So he sent us these tickets and he as he's a pastor too. So the service overrun. So we said, okay, we need to spend the night, have the dinner at the witchery and spend the night in Edinburgh. Something happened, there was a storm, so the flight was directed to Glasgow instead of Edinburgh. So so we arrived. The witches witches were working, they said. (laughs) (laughs) So we arrived. The holy men have come to were coming to the witchery. So we arrived in Glasgow. The airline gave instructions and order that the way that we came into the plane and the order that we came in is how we're all going to go down their buses and going to take us to Edinburgh. We all said yes. Everybody nodded. And this is England. This is not Yaba Market where I come from. This is not (laughs) no no. And this is not Makola Market in Ghana. This is this is Glasgow. It's a Western world. So we all get off the plane. As soon as we came off the plane, come and see. Come and see. Come and see disorder. People running helter-skelter. Loss of control. The buses went, in the end, we just stood there. And then we had to take a taxi all the way to Edinburgh. The disorder. Because without that, they couldn't have the flow and the increase. Jesus first asked them to sit down. First of all, he asked the disciples, get the people to sit down. Number two, then he took the five loaves and he gave thanks signifying the importance of thanksgiving on our journey and everything we do then number 3 he distributed asked the disciple to distribute the bread talking about team and needing others bringing different giftings he did the blessing and he called them to come number 4 then he they collected all the fragments and everything that was left And nothing, there was no waste in it. So the the disciples got involved. So do you need to go back? When I gave you coaching question number five, two weeks ago, I asked you, what do you need to let go as you step into purpose? We are on a journey. You know, my husband always has told me for many years, Kofi's always told me when we first got, got married and we didn't have much, and then eventually we had nothing. <laughs> we, had, we didn't have much. Then we had nothing. And we had nothing. When I said nothing, I mean nothing. We're just sitting on the floor in this flat. We just started this church actually 25 years ago in our home. Nothing for them. Little went to nothing. And he, he, was, he said to me before our marriage, and he had told me, Jane, you can't get attached to any of these things. From about the furniture, clothes. He said, you can't. And, and you need to learn that. And I have learned and I'm learning that. Because in the same way that we sat in that house with nothing, we saw chairs, we saw things come, we saw money come in, and everything from nothing. You know, so you, you can't hold on to things. So you need to let go. You need to let go not just in, on materially, but we need to learn to let go also in our heart as well. To declutter and order our lives. We speak about God, bring the increase. God, bring me in, bring me up. If you, the faster you travel, the lighter you are you know, to travel fast. Think about it. It's the same spiritual parallel. In every season or wherever you are, the number one question I asked you was, what would you let go? So in order for the multiplication and the increase to come, Jesus brought order, he brought structure. There was no waste either. No waste. Hallelujah. Is that the time? Passion, number three. I spoke on purpose, process. Passion is what I want to teach you on today. Passion in 24 minutes. Passion. It's an intense desire for something. The Oxford Dictionary defines passion as an intense desire or an enthusiasm for something. Next to the description or the definition of passion in the Oxford English Dictionary is that passion is the suffering of Christ on the cross. So the intense and fiery love that God had for you. So God saved us passionately, very passionately, that the Oxford Dictionary even includes that in this definition of the word passion. Passion is an enthusiasm. Its synonyms include zeal, fervor, fiery. Passion is inherent in the heart of every believer. The life that you received, the day that you asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, was a life of passion. In passion also we get the word zeal or a zealot a, a, a zealot or' a person who shows zeal an excessively zealous person is a fanatic that's, that's what we're supposed to, to live our lives by in John chapter two verse 17 John 2:17 I read the, the disciples remembered that it is written in the holy scriptures that zeal, the fervor of your lo- of your house, will eat me up, and I will be consumed with jealousy for the honor of your house. Jesus was a man charged with passion. Passion is John ten ten. It is our heart. Passion is not duty or obligation or a monotonous existence. This relationship that you and I imbibe when we ask Jesus Christ to come and live in your heart, it started in our heart. It didn't start in our head. Because a lot of times when we speak of a passion, people think that passion is for extroverts like myself. No, church. Any believer who has the Holy Spirit Living in you, you have passion. The very passion and the very life of Jesus Christ is in you. Passion is there. It just needs to be awakened sometimes. You see, the Bible says that it's the the passion of God. That same spirit, that's the scripture I'm trying to get to. That same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Also, that's what dwells in you. The psalm, the psalm I think it's Psalm 8, says that when God came to create him, the very heavens and everything that he had, he used his fingers. But when he came to raising Jesus from the dead, he used his arm. So in your heart is the very power of the arm of God. How can you not live passionately? when life gets boring and monotonous and it's just every day, it's just just Monday, then something, believer, has happened to that passion and I will address that momentarily. But passion is in every heart. If you know him this morning, if you know him this day, you have passion. You see, when you have passion and you know the power of this Holy Spirit in you, You are not regulated externally. What turns your temperature is internal. Because you know where this began. Hallelujah. What are the qualities of passion? They are loyalty, commitment, and perseverance. The ability to keep going when the going gets tough. The tough keep going, or for me, I go to Harrods on top of it as well. It helps me. I think it's John Maxwell who said, life is passion and action. You see, we don't know what passion does. Passion protects the dream in your heart. Passion safeguards that dream. Passion is like how God operates. You see, God has the ability, or He says that He's a God who knows the end from the beginning. That what, what does that mean for us? It means calling those things which are not as though they are. So, what that's what passion does is that ignites that faith. Hallelujah. Are you getting this? And keeps you going. And where is your passion? Passion. Is your heart. That is why you have to protect your heart. We read about three weeks ago in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that he has implanted a divinely implanted sense of purpose in your heart. So your desire, your dreams, your longings are in your heart. That is why the, the writer of Proverbs 4.23 says what? Keep or protect your heart. For out of it, or the NLT says, it determines the, the course of your life. So a passion deficiency syndrome in your life or in the church is a hard thing. You need to check your heart. If you don't feel passion, check your heart. Passion thieves, things come, disillusionment, all the deeds, despair, dep- depression, disappointment, Fatigue, even is one of it. Trials, what well, all those things do? They come to steal the passion, and then suddenly you lose sight. Because all it, it has, I call them passion thieves. Because when one trial comes, then suddenly people feel, oh, I want to give up. Uh, you know, Christians start the year in January setting goals. I'm going to prayer business every Tuesday, and we set these high goals. Then by June, oh my goodness. Oh, June is so hard, and then and then and then by the end of the year it's gone. Then 31st they come again to 31st service. You haven't seen them the whole year. That's not passion. Something has happened in your heart to steal that passion. Either a disappointment, disillusionment, something in the past. Bishop T. D. Jakes says that when you you hold on to your past, you do so at the expense of your destiny. When you hold on to it, something has got to go. So discouragement and things come to steal that passion. Another thing that steals that passion from our lives is comparison, comparison, comparing ourselves to others. Oh my goodness, that is so easy now because of the social media frenzy in our world. Come with me in your Bibles to John, actually, Galatians chapter 6, verse 4. Galatians 6, verse 4. I read. You're there? Okay, you're not there. I'm not hearing amen. You're there? But let every person carefully scrutinize and examine and test his own conduct and his own work, he can then have the personal satisfaction and joy of doing something commendable in itself alone without resorting to boastful comparison with his neighbor. Let me read it in the message. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given, your purpose, and the work you have been given. Then sink yourself into that. But don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Isn't that awesome? To look, we're always telling our daughters, always. And now they, I think they get it. When they say, so-and-so did this or so-and-so has this, we say, you, my dear girl, are not so-and-so. When God's hand came upon your life, your journey was different from everybody else, and so is it with you, the believer. You cannot look at somebody's life. You can be inspired by it. I was so inspired last night. I was actually sleeping, then Kofi woke me up or began sharing this week. He'd be with Andrew Walmark Minister's Conference. And as he began sharing the things, I actually sat up propped my pillows. And the things he shared, and the testimonies of what God has done in this man's life so inspired me, it actually even energized my passion even more. But I'm not comparing myself to him. Yes. I know what I've been called to. You see, so we can be inspired by others, but we can't compare ourselves to others and, and or where they are on their journey. You are an individual, but we are also what members together. And, you know, even Jesus' disciples did it. You know, they, they also compared. You know, in John, in John chapter 21 20, and 22, the Bible says, says that, John 21, 22, that when Peter saw him, that is John, he said to him, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I want him to stay, survive Live until I come. What is that to you? What concern is it of yours? When I read it, I said, "There's stuff like that in the Bible." Yes. He said, "What is it? Oh God, this person has this, and this person has done this. What is he? And God will answer you the same way He answered Peter. What is it? What's concern of it of yours? Is it? You see, because into everything that you've been called to. There also comes, we read in 2 Timothy 1, 9, the foundational text, that he has called and he has graced us. So there is a grace or an anointing. 1 John two twenty seven says that, but the unction that you have received, you have an unction. That unction is an ability, an endowment from God that enables you to live this life. You cannot live this life or this Christian journey in your own strength. Frustration comes when we're doing it in our own strength, but the Bible said, "The unction that you have received, it abides." So when I am ministering or I am doing anything for my kin, I simply say, "Father, let the anointing, the enablement that you have endowed on me be released. I am not asking for it, and you don't need to ask for it either. It is in you. So the anointing that you have been given will enable you to work your own purpose. When we go to the story of David, when Samuel came, God instructed the prophet Samuel, let me just tell you the story, to come to, um, to David's um, father's house, Jesse's house, and say that he's going to anoint the next king of Israel from, from Jesse's house. So Jesse lined up all his children, and they all came. And Samuel looked at all of them, they lined up. And said, no, not this one, no, not this one. And later on in the verse, I can't remember it, in Samuel, we can put it up. He says, for God looks not as man, but God looks on the heart. See, passion, everything is about the heart. Then later on, David is not anointed, but he's called. He hears about the battle going on with the Philistines coming against the Israelites. So David goes and then says that he's going to fight Goliath. So Saul, that's what, puts his armor on on David. And when David gets there, it feels uncomfortable and he can't fight. Because guess what? Saul's armor is not his anointing. Whenever you try to be like me, try to be like somebody else, you are not anointed to be me. You don't know what cross I carry. You have no idea what cross I carry. And how he enables me to carry that cross. Because how one can minister even after a loss? It can't but be the cross. So it felt uncomfortable. You need to wear your own clothes. Wear your own anointing. But you see, we are not confident in our anointings. That confidence comes, guess what? When you step out and you try your anointing. Whether it be teaching, whether it be typing, whatever God has called you to. We establish from the word of God, every believer, he puts something in your hands. And when you start using what you have, any any talent that is used over and over and over again becomes a skill. You sharpen it. But we don't wear our anointing. And so then we want somebody else's anointing, somebody else's enablement, how they're doing their life, how they're doing things. In Ghana, they, they say, stay in your lane. It sounds better in the Ghanaian language. Sometimes when you translate over, it doesn't work. It's like, stay in your lane. Just stay in your lane and keep stepping. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, of course, comparison will lead you to despondency immediately. You will see all your inadequacies come to bear. Hallelujah. Let's talk about refueling passion. So how do you refuel passion when passion is gone? Passion is already in your heart as a believer. It is there when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord. And God wants us to finish with joy. Not with sadness, not with illness, but with joy. To finish our course with joy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So there's something that happens. There are a number of things I have shared that take away passion, trials, disappointment. You know, when we, are, we, we assign what I call due dates to things we've asked God for. Remember, God doesn't live in time. But once we are thrust into time, we pick up time, this kind of time. But we read that Ecclesiastes, that he makes everything beautiful in its time. That means beauty and maturation of things that we've asked God for come together. So when we, do, we hurry it up, it's not beautiful, so to speak. You get that. It's, it's not beautiful. But then we say it is marvelous in our eyes. It is the Lord's doing. And we're able then to give credit to Him. So there's a, something that happens to believers, it happens to non-believers. It's called burnout. It is a state of emotional, physical, and mental exhaustion it is caused by excessive and prolonged stress in our lives as you build up stress you feel overwhelmed you are emotionally drained you are unable to meet the demands of your everyday life and your responsibilities even the things that brought you joy they're not joyful anymore where church is that you're coming to do your religious duty a passionate believer doesn't do duty, doesn't do obligation. A, a passionate believer, your life is charged with passion. Hallelujah. But burnout causes us to lose interest and motivation in what you're doing in life. All problems are too big. And you, you also become very detached and you are unable to function And this goes into all your other relationships. I think for me, the best definition of burnout that I've ever heard was from Bob Yandian's pastor's conference many years ago when we were there at the pastor's conference. He said, burnout is what happens from what you don't do. Not what you're doing. And what you don't do is that you and I were created to live our lives on the fuel of the Holy Spirit. Yes. So when you have no oil, think about a car or any machinery with no oil. Oh, it just squeaks and squeaks and makes this noise that is not beautiful. So we run out of oil. So he said, Burn out is from not what we don't do. What we don't do is to go back again and again and again and again and again every day to the author of purpose himself and refueling in his presence like the eagle. Why? Because those who do that, when you go into his presence or you spend time, quality time with the Lord in his presence and he refuels you, you can, you can run and you never get tired. So you walk and you don't even... Or you run, you never faint or get tired, whatever the order it says. You always have energy. So you can have a lot going on. But you go immediately to what we call the speed of light. In my time management workshops, I talk about the speed of light. There's a physics principle that says the closer you get to the speed of light, the more time slows down. The closer you get to the speed of light the more time slows down. In our spiritual power, who is the speed of light? So the more closer, the more time we invest in the author of purpose, he speeds up time for our lives. Hallelujah. So burnout happens from what we don't do. When we are doing too much and we never take the time to fuel. Too many late nights, too busy to ever press P-A-U-S-E, to pause. There is no time for solitude. There is no prayer. We don't even reflect. We have no self-awareness. We're not even aware sometimes of ourselves in this relationship where we say and we do things and we don't, we don't even see the impact of it cause we just keep running and running you know and studies have shown that since the 19 since 1990 children have lost their creativity in school and they said it is around the same time early 1990 that the internet became public so people are not, don't never unplug and they say that research and studies show creativity natural creativity is is going and going Because we never stop to pause and listen in. So let's look at burnout. It is physical as in your body. It's emotional as well. It is when we forget that we are humans and we have limited resources. That only God has uh, infinite resources. The symptoms include exhaustion and tiredness all the time. If you have conditions like eczema, IBS, migraine headaches, palpitations, they are exacerbated during burnout. Sleep disturbance, that means you don't sleep well, you wake up too early or too frequently. Emotional symptoms include you are unmotivated, you have no joy, everything is boring, you are bored with your life. And you're not even the bored housewife. Of Atlanta or wherever they are. There is tearfulness with no reason. There's panic attacks. There's anxiety. Memory lapses. Daydreaming sounds familiar. Nobody's going to own out to that. But let's go to the Bible. We're going to show you a man who experienced that and how God refueled his passion. Hallelujah. Come with me. Your Bibles to 1 Kings 17. Verse 1. I will tell you the story because it's a long reading. So in 1 Kings 17 verse 1, my husband Kofi's favorite Bible character, Elijah the Tishbite, appears from nowhere and comes on the scene. He is full of passion and zeal. And he prophesies that according to my own word, There will be no rain. It was after he prophesied that God then spoke to him. And then God began to direct him and show him. God says, go to the brook and I will feed you there by the brook. And the ravens fed him. You see how guidance is an active process of of purpose. So when the brook dried up, because somebody here and some people here your brook has dried up, but you don't know what to do. Then God did what? Directed him again to a widow. So sometimes, once again, from the word of God, God sends us to the most unlikely sp- people and places for support. That's why you have to be open to your God. And so he, he goes to Zarephath, to the widow, then the Lord commands the widow, the widow to feed him. Meanwhile, the king at the time in Israel was King Ahab, and his wife was Jezebel. Hey, hey yeah, it wasn't me. <laughs> and Jezebel was the priestess of Baal, the god of rain, thunder, and lightning. It's a long reading. Take time and read it. But I'm going to draw some principles for you on how God refuels passion. So Jezebel had hunted down all the prophets of God, and she had killed them. Then in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 19, we come to what I call showdown in Mount Carmel. Yeah, where God is going to show stuff. So the story hits a climax here. When Elijah says to Obadiah to tell the king that all the, the prophets of Baal must meet at Mount Carmel. And there there was brought a sacrifice. And that they're going to do sacrifices to their God and everybody's God, the, the, the Baals, the, the God of Baals, and Elijah's God, he has only one, you and I, one God, singular, will answer him. So Elijah summons all of them, 450 of them, and 400 prophets of the Asherah. And in First Kings 19, Elijah says everybody calls on their God, they call on the Baal, they call and call and call, you know, they say, Your God is not answering. One thing, maybe he's going on a holiday. You know, maybe, uh, I I think another translation even says, maybe your God is going to the toilet. Can you imagine having a God who's, who's not available like that? So nothing happens and Elijah calls on his God. He pours water on the sacrifice. And he calls on his God to bring fire. And it's not fire, 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 church. But he calls on his God to bring fire on the offering. And and God shows up, and then Elijah triumphs over the boughs. Immediately after this feat, actually, before this feat, after this feat, I beg your pardon, then Elijah tells them there's going to be rain after three years. So he tells the king, tell the king, so he says, I'm going to run ahead of the king. The king has a chariot, by the way. And the Bible says that God's power came upon Elijah, the anointing. And it energized and enabled him to run 20 miles physically ahead of the king's chariot. And when he gets there before the king, after this feat, you think he'd be high. He has walked this walk. We saw how he started in 1 Kings 17, full of passion and zeal. Pastor, we're with you. All the way, we're with you. Oh, Jane, I'm supporting you. Every girl needs support. You think he'd be on full of fire to all that? And then suddenly he arrives there, and then Ahab goes to tell his wife. So many men are scared of their wives, by the way, but we're not going to that today. That's the whole teaching. I'm going to show you how to be unafraid of your wives next year. <laughs> he goes to tell Jezebel. I read in the Bible. Jezebel says, Eh. He writes a letter or email, we would say, to Elijah. He says, I'm going to kill you. Like they say in my country, I'm going to kill you dead. Like how they kill you and you don't die. <laughs> Elijah has had all this miracle, this zeal, this confidence. Because of the time, I can't read it all. And then suddenly, this woman writes him a letter or email or whatever, gets a message that you're, going to, you're a dead man. And the bible says he ran for his life he had a panic attack one of several recorded in the bible you're not the first person to have a panic attack dear believer it's in the bible he has a panic attack uh, yes and he ran in first kings 19:5, and he goes to sit under a juniper tree pastor kofi said that's where prophets sit when they are depressed and he calls out to God. He says, God, take my life. I'm no good. It's over. Nothing is happening like we do. I've not had a job. I have nothing. I'm not married. God, look at my age. God, take my life. I have no reason for being here. First 1 Kings 19.4. And God's response is very interesting. Very interesting. Number one is that the Bible says in 1 Kings 19.4, he slept under the juniper tree. Because sleep is an important part of being human. Too little over a long period can impact our ability to be creative and energetic or to deal with the stresses of life. I'm always telling the young people, you need sleep. If you want your body to carry you the long haul, you're going to have to take care of your body and sleep. I'm not trying to cram your fun I say don't go to out late nights, but you're going to have to need some good sleep. So he sleeps. And in Genesis chapter 1 even, we see the same pattern that when God created the heavens and the earth, the next thing that God did was God did what? God paused from his work and rested. And so even God, with God demonstrates and models the pattern of life to us is work and rest. We're talking about passion. So Elijah has been used by God mightily and he had run all the way to Mount Carmel in in Jezreel, 20 miles ahead of the chariot. He was exhausted. When we are exhausted, we don't think accurately. We can be irrational and our emotions lead us, and our emotions don't always tell us the truth. So when Elijah reached out to God in all this time, he was still communicating with God, but we but something is happens there. He is very disengaged from God, even though he is communicating with God. So God doesn't answer him first. Sleep, and then later on. The angel of the Lord in 1 Kings 19, 5, touches his shoulder and says, rise up and eat. He's asking God, I'm about to take my life. Take me out of here. It's over. There is no instantaneous, swift delivery. Church, process, process, process. Because when our bodies are run out, when we are depleted, it's not just going to turn overnight. But it's going to turn. I came to tell you, it's going to turn. But God started with first two physical things. First, he tells the prophet, he slept. Then He stopped by the angel, now eat. Because he needed the physical energy. Because when the anointing was on him, he was a, and he was high as a kite, he could run. He had performed all these feats. And now he was exhausted. Because when we are exhausted, we need food, physical food. When we are stressed, what happens is that our body craves sugars. And, when, and it craves sugars and, and, and raises also our sugar levels. And when you're stressed, guess what? You eat on the run or you graze. So you don't really eat properly. No, you're eating. You, you don't eat what I call mindfully. Sometimes your lunch all goes and you don't even know when you ate it or how it went. Because when you're stressed, you raise also cortisol. Cortisol levels are raised. And when cortisol, which helps our immune system and helps us to stay healthy, when cortisol is raised, when you're stressed, guess what happens? You crave carbohydrates. And when cortisol is raised also, it sends, that hormone sends messages to your body. So your face gets bigger and then the fat settles also your neck and it settles also on your organs and your middle. When cortisol is raised. So to recover from stress, you have to do what? Rebuild your energies again. So God says, eat to him. So the first two needs of Elijah, when his passion was down, were physical. Sleep first and and then eat. Then God has still not talked to him. Then in 1 Kings 19.9, you may turn to that. 1 Kings 19.9, God eventually spoke to him. Remember when I was talking about, in in, in session number two about process, how I liken it to Bruce Wilkinson's story of ordinary who leaves the promised land in search of his God-given dream. And as he sets off, he hits the wilderness. That phase in our lives, when we are on the journey When we feel all alone, God, where are you? So Elijah reaches out to God in this despondency and this state, and he doesn't get an answer. Eventually, God spoke to him in 1 Kings 19. He went to a cave. That speaks of solitude. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, they've thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, and I only, I am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind rent the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of gentle stillness and a still, small voice. Because we don't hear the voice of God in the frenetic paces of our lives. There are so many voices speaking and reaching out to us. All have significance, but so many voices. God only speaks, and he does speak, church. But he speaks in the silence of our souls. With all of that noise happening and all of checking your status, checking how many people have followed you, checking when the distance has come, checking that. How can you hear his voice in all of that? So when he paused, then he went to the cave in the stillness Then God spoke. But also when he reached out to God, he was very disconnected. He was just telling God, what, I've done this, and I've done this. I've been to church. I'm the only usher. I've been here longer than everybody else. I've done that. I've done that. He was not engaged. He had no intimacy with the Father. And sometimes we are are doing our religious duty, but we are not in intimacy. He was very disconnected. So God first replenished him in his soul, and then now that he was in the cave in solitude, then he could speak to his spirit. Hallelujah. And then in, 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 on Saturday, yesterday, I was reading these verses. When was the 20th? Yesterday. And in First Kings 19, 19, the Lord drew me to the scripture that Elijah, after this encounter, he is instructed to prepare Elisha to take over. And I immediately typed in my notes, a note to the next generation. He was to, after this encounter also, there's also now coming a preparation for the next generation. And so that he will cast his mantle on Elisha. So Elisha in verse 20, the Bible says, left his oxen and ran after Elijah and said, I will follow you. And as I read these verses yesterday, I heard in my spirit that there are so many of you young people that we are wanting in this season to cast a mantle on you, which is really a double portion of the anointings on our lives. But you cannot carry that anointing until you run with us. Until you run with us. So whilst we're going through this season, it's also a season also of renewal and you will come. He made a commitment. The Bible says he left the oxen. And I'm speaking to the next generation. That would you leave some of the worldly things that you are holding on to of success, of quick success, would you follow us as we follow Jesus? But the anointing, that double portion, you read on what Elisha did with that double portion. And then the Lord led me to something that I have never done in my 25 years. In September, I celebrated 25 years, or so I didn't celebrate, it was 25 years of full time ministry. It's to, to spoke a prophecy to my heart. And I began to write it down. As I read these verses, they jumped in my spirit. I hear God saying, Go and tell my people. There is the abundance of the sound of rain. That rain is eminent. so keep going. Don't, skip, don't stop, keep drawing from me. And let me refuel you. There is still so much you have to do for me. There will be enough rain. And it will rain and rain. And I will rain resources to cover all you have to do in my name. And basically what I heard, Kofi, was that God said that there is the sound of the abundance of rain. There is a sound of the abundance of rain. And so then he said to Ahab, because I hear the sound of the abundance of rain, get up and go and eat, go and celebrate. He said, rest, Pastor, because there is rain coming. And if that rain is coming from the top, it's coming down to you. Somebody needs to praise him this morning. And that rain is coming to flood your life. It's, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. And in the, in, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says that they were settled together in one place and they were waiting for the, whole, the promised Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came and he descended on each one of them. And they began to speak in other tongues. All the people, our unity is important for this reign. They were assembled in one place. And they heard the sound again. They heard the sound of the Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues. When you hear a new sound, you speak differently. You don't speak as you spoke yesterday. Because the season has changed. So I came to tell you this morning, in closing this teaching, I hear the sound of that rain in my spirit. I hear it over your lives. I hear it over our church. I hear it over the body of Christ. I hear it for those who would get up and speak differently and make some declarations of that which is to come and that which has not happened. It's going to be beautiful It will be marvelous in our eyes. And all the glory will come to the Father. Say amen. and Hallelujah. Were you blessed? Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. We trust you were blessed by today's message. And if you would like to sow into our ministry, you can visit our website to give a donation. God bless you. Make sure you subscribe to our channel to hear more messages.